Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who just five years into my legal career found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. So that I didn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided it was time to redefine success from the inside out. Fast forward a few years and it worked. I had a thriving legal career balanced with a fulfilling life. What I learned is that you can achieve the success you want without sacrificing yourself in the process. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Is there a lawyer mental health crisis? Let's look at the stats. According to the 2016 ABA Hazel and Betty Ford study on substance abuse and mental health, lawyers are 3.6 times more likely to suffer from depression than non-lawyers. 19% reported experiencing anxiety, 23% reported being highly stressed, and over 20% screened positive for hazardous, harmful, and potentially alcohol-dependent drinking. We've all heard those numbers by now, right? Let's look at something a little more recent. According to ALM's Mental Health and Substance Abuse Study in 2021, out of all of the respondents, 64% said they have anxiety. Over 31% said they were depressed. 41% said mental health problems and substance abuse are at a crisis level in the legal industry. And a whopping 74% agreed that the profession has had a negative impact on their mental health over time. I think it's safe to say we do have a mental health crisis in the legal profession. And that is what we are getting into today. What's going on, a little bit about how it's happening, but moreover, how to start taking control and not allow yourself to be a part of one of these abysmally horrible statistics so that we can start turning things around really within the profession as a whole. Hey there, this is Heather Mulder, host of the Life and Law podcast, former lawyer and lawyer coach. And I I take issue with these. Not issue with do they exist? I think it's pretty clear we have a problem. I take issue with the fact that so many of us put up with it, that we kind of seem to have this attitude of, well, this is just how it is. It's because, you know, we're under a lot of pressure. We're expected to deliver our near-perfect results. We're expected to hit incredibly, you know, difficult deadlines. We have big challenges. We're also people pleasers, and we're always trying to do our best, and we can't ever do it. And it's just, it's part of being a lawyer. No, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And we're going to get into why that is and how to get out of it today on the show. So, As per usual, I'm really excited to have you here with me today. Let's get into kind of this mindset of the lawyer. It really leads to a lot of what I talked about last week, which I call the lawyer's paradox. This, we go into the profession wanting to serve, wanting to do our best, wanting to make some sort of an impact. Oftentimes, those of us who truly chose to be lawyers for a reason have a values-based reason for practicing law. And then somehow, some way, we end up on this path and we get off track and we end up shells of our former selves at the end of the day. 
Now, part of that is because we get away from our values, and I talked about that last week. So if you have not listened to last week's episode, highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Listen to this one first. That You don't have to listen in any particular order. Finish this one up. Make sure you go back and listen to that because it gets into what your values are, how they lead you to where you, you know, They led you to where you started, but they need to continue to lead you to where you really want to go. And they are a very big piece to the fulfillment and balance puzzle. And part of what I talk about last week really gets into intentionality, okay? Living a more intentional life, which is really what this all comes down to. A couple of notes for how to make things better. Number one, stop focusing on outside circumstances. Yes, things happen that are outside of your control and often that are unexpected. Yes, you're often under pressure. Yes, there are big challenges that you have to deal with on a daily basis within your job, within the profession. Yes, you are asked to fill a million different roles. You are a counselor. You are probably a business advisor to some extent. You have to come up with unique legal theories and issues and solve problems. You're a big problem solver. You are also asked to lead and be a manager of people as you grow in your practice. And if you are in private practice, you are eventually asked to grow your own book of business. That's a lot. None of that is changing. But guess what? That is not why you're so stressed. That's not where most stress comes from. Most of it is coming from within you and how you think and react to the things that are going on around you. I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. This equation that we coaches like to talk about, E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. We humans, and especially we lawyers, spend an inordinate amount of time focusing on the E and the O, the event stands for all the things that led up to wherever you are now. The circumstances, the unexpected things, the things outside of your control, other people's opinions, other people's behavior, and even sometimes, you know, something that you did or a choice that you made that led to this. But once it's happened, it's happened. You can't go back. It is what it is. There's no reason to obsess or focus over it. Yes, it makes sense to look at it and to figure out how you ended up here and is there something you could have learned you can learn from it so that you can take it moving forward and it not happen again or not happen in the same way or that you could respond differently. Great. But we tend to over obsess over it as though we could go back in time and change things. You can't. So don't obsess over that. We also over obsess over the O, like the outcome that we want, that we expected, that we want to get, that we're moving towards, right? Guess what? You don't have control, not full control, because there's a lot that goes into an outcome. There's other people. There's things you never could anticipate. There's circumstances that are outside of your control. There's all these other things that make up for an outcome. Now, that doesn't mean you have no control. The control is in the R, That's response. That's your response. How do you respond to what's going on around you? How do you make choices? How intentional are you? Have you thought through everything? The R is the you. It's your equation. And that's where you have the most control. 
So start focusing more on that. And it's not just about the choices you're making. Obviously, those are big deals. But it goes further back than that. It's about your thoughts, your beliefs. Your thoughts, your beliefs, they create feelings. And you act on those. So it starts there. Become more aware of them. Learn how to utilize tools for how to better process through emotions. How to change what you think and how you think over time so that you can make better decisions and really start taking full out control and responsibility for you. Stop focusing primarily on outside circumstances, on outside things, on the E and the O, start focusing more on the R, on what you control. So that's the first note. The second note is take ownership of your choices and make better ones. You cannot, as I said, control other people. You can't control how they think. You can't control what they want. You can't control how they act and so on. But you can control what you're willing to put up with. And also you can ensure that you are spending most of your time on the things that are most important to you. Which means, by the way, you got to learn to prioritize properly. You've got to stop trying to do it all. You can't please everybody. you got let it, got to let go of that and you need boundaries. That's taking ownership. The other note is learning how to utilize tools in the proper way to help you with all of these things. Now, this is where it gets interesting, y'all. I speak about the tools often, and you know these tools. In fact, this is probably one of the biggest complaints. Maybe you could call it as an an excuse. (laughs) Depends on how it's being used that I hear. Heather, I know what tools to use. I've been using them. They're not working. For example, I used to meditate all the time. I would meditate for 15 to 20 minutes, at least five to six days per week. And yet, it really didn't help me. Yeah, it helped a little bit. It would help me feel better in the moment. But I'm still, you know, really stressed. I still have a lot of anxiety. It, the tools don't work. The problem is you're not utilizing them in the best way possible to change those thoughts that I talked about a moment ago. Because again, it starts within your own mind. Your mentality, your mindset, whatever you want to call it, around what you take control of, around what you have control of, around what you're willing to take control of, around what balance actually means and what you're willing to do to get it, around self-care even. So let me give you an example or a couple of examples actually to hopefully hone in on what I'm talking about here. I say... And this is a real life experience. I said, you know what? You, to somebody who was complaining that they used to work out all the time and then they started law and they never work out anymore. I mean, they're lucky to get one, one or two times in a month. And I'm like, well, how can you work out five times per week then? I hear this back. Well, I can't just leave at five or six or even 7.30 every single day just to ensure I get my daily workout. Things come up. I have to be available Okay, that's not what I'm saying. How can you figure out a way to work out five times per week? By coming up with that excuse of, well, I can't just leave every day at the same time so that I can go work out. You have absolutely closed your mind to the entire idea of working out from the get-go. You have decided there is one way to work out and only one way to work out. This person... 
I must work out for an hour, at least five days per week, going into the gym towards the end of the day. Okay, but that's not the only way, you know. And by thinking that way, you've cut off every single potential opportunity to try to figure out a way. Working out in the morning. Having a home gym so you don't have to go somewhere. Changing how you work out. Maybe sometimes you do 20-minute HIIT exercises instead of one hour or even a 15 minutes or go for a walk. There are lots of ways. Go for a walk during lunchtime. There's a lot of flexibility in there, right? But you've closed your mind to the idea of being flexible, to all the other possibilities. This is a mindset thing. And this is why the tools don't work if you're not utilizing them in the right way because you're not utilizing them to change how you think so that you can make better decisions, so that you can stop making all these excuses for yourself. Let me give you an ex- another example. Talking to somebody who's complaining about constantly getting interrupted. They are a go-to for something in particular within their firm, and people every day come in all the time incessantly wanting to talk it out. Well, you need some strong boundaries. You need to have some times where this is the time to come ask me those types of questions. Otherwise, I'm not available. And if my door is closed, you do not come in. Oh, but Heather, it's not possible to do that. They expect this of me. I couldn't possibly. What if I would miss something? What if they do something wrong then and they go ahead and they they go forward without talking it through with me? That could be really bad. Okay, no, that's not what I'm saying. Or you're crazy busy. You're not getting much sleep. You're probably averaging at four to five hours per night and you just got too much on your plate. You need to say no. But Heather, I can't say no. If I say no to a partner, they'll blackball me and never give me work again. Oh, but Heather, I can't turn down work from my clients. They'll never send me work again. They'll go to another firm and they won't send me the work and then I won't have any more business. Our mind loves to spiral down into the worst case scenarios very quickly. None of that is actually true. And by thinking in that way, you have closed off every single possibility. You are probably assuming and pushing back, because I know the people who've said these things to me when I say no that often. No, no, no. I'm not saying you're going to do it often or all the time. Occasionally, when it makes sense. And there are ways to say no. And by the way, no isn't a boundary. It's an enforcement mechanism for a boundary. So by thinking in this way, you're not even allowing yourself to Go to that place where you can figure out, you know what, where do I actually need boundaries? How will they help me be a better lawyer, be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better friend, be a better colleague, be a better service provider to my clients? And then how can I use them effectively? And there are ways to let people know about your boundaries in a graceful way and to enforce them in a graceful way. It all starts with what you think and how you process those thoughts. One final example that gets even more specific into some of these tools we tend to think are quick fixes, right? So that comment, I used to meditate daily and it didn't help me. I mean, it helped me on the margins. I would feel a little bit better for a little while, but it it didn't do much for me. Said the person who often referenced how much they were drinking from the fire hose on a daily basis, got an average of five hours of sleep per night, and was known to cancel on their friends last minute to work on their emergencies. Yeah, I don't think any tool is going to fix that, right? 
That's not your real big issue. Your issues are lack of boundaries, committing yourself to do more than is reasonable for any one human being, and not spending any time on your own self-care. So the thing about all these tools that we keep talking about, like meditation, mindfulness, they are to be used, at least the best way to use them, is to use them in conjunction with behavioral change and intentional decision-making. The point of their use is to help you become more self-aware of the thoughts, the beliefs, the things that are going on, of the behaviors, the habits that you have, and also to help you process your thoughts, your beliefs, so that you can make better decisions moving forward and even change how you think and what you think moving forward. So the point of them, from a long-term perspective, is to help you be more intentional. But they cannot solve all your stress problems on their own. You need to utilize them in conjunction with choice changes, with actual changes to your life so that you get better habits, so that you make better decisions, so that you put into place real boundaries, so that you sleep seven plus hours of night instead of four to five. So that you commit and really prioritize taking at least 20 to 30 minutes of self-care every morning, no matter how busy you are, because this is actually your priority. You can use some of these tools as reminders to help you. You can use them to become more self-aware of where you need more help. You can use them to help you make better decisions. But the tools in and of themselves are not going to solve all your problems. Again, They're just tools to help you with all the other stuff. And that is something I find a lot of people forget. Like, I think we mostly understand that to some extent. But we start to utilize them and we start to use them every day and they become this habit we don't think about much. And so we don't use them as intentionally as we could. Also, sometimes we utilize them really just to calm down and reset quickly, like as a management of current stress tool, which yes, they can be utilized in that way. And I highly recommend you do because we sometimes need that, right? But that's not their only use. You also want to ensure you're utilizing them in a way where you can actually make long-term habit and behavioral changes so that you can avoid and prevent stress instead of just manage it. All right, so I can't go through all the tools today. That would take way too long. And I've gone through a lot of these tools before, but not quite in this way. So today, I want to go through my top three for helping you with the long-term changes. Now, all three of these I've talked about before, but I've not quite talked about them in this way. All three of these you've probably heard Although one of them you may not have heard of as much. It's not talked about nearly enough in my opinion. The other two are actually talked about a lot, but they're typically, I think, talked about as a quick fix or in a way that I don't actually think is all that helpful for long-term change. So that's what we're going to talk about. Just note that a couple of things. Number one, there's a lot more than these three tools. And I do have a resource that you can grab that has 10 tools that will help you in all of these things. It will help you with stress management, i.e. really getting back on track in the moment when 
you know, you know what hits the fan and you need to calm down very quickly and reset and refocus. They will help you with, you know, really changing your long-term behavior, becoming more self-aware and making more intentional, better choices moving forward. So highly recommend you get it. It's called 5-Minute Stress Solutions. The reason I call it 5-Minute Stress Solutions is every single one of these tools can be utilized in a matter of minutes, some in just, you know, 30, 90 seconds, some in a couple of minutes. None of them need to take more than five. You can take more than five, and I highly recommend it when you need it, but you don't have to. So I will have a link to that resource in the show notes so that you can grab it if you don't already have it. The second thing I want to note is note that behavioral long-term changes, long-term habit and behavioral changes are absolutely possible. And they're possible to do on your own utilizing these things, right? We we all have moments where we're able to help ourselves and get ourselves on a better plane, but sometimes it's hard. It, it, it's just not possible in the moment, or we really would need help to get past something, or we want help so that we can more quickly change our circumstances, change how we think, change our behaviors. Do not be afraid to get help. I see this a lot um, in new clients, and in fact, I think I've said this before, but a lot of people who come to me and who do work with me, there's a fair number of them who come saying they really want to work with me, they're really interested, and we talk, and then they're like, you know, I just, I don't know, I'm not really ready, and then it's a matter of months, sometimes many months, before they come back and we start working together. And what I find out a lot of times when they do that is they couldn't get past their own ego of needing help. We all have egos. Let's just be honest. We don't like to get help. We are lawyers or high achievers, and we love to prove we can do everything on our own. But you do not have to do everything on your own, and you're actually not made to do everything on your own. So whether it's working with me or someone like me, you know, a coach or maybe a therapist or maybe just having a mentor that you, uh, you know, talk to, make sure you're getting help for these things. There are so many ways to get help and so many people who can help you. It would really be a shame if you tried to do this all on your own and, it either backfired because you weren't doing it right and you didn't have an objective observer to help you, or you could have gotten the change you wanted much, much quicker. I would just say to you, don't be the typical lawyer. Make sure you're open to talking about it and getting the help you actually need. And make sure you understand what help you need, okay? And if you're not sure, talk to somebody who can help you determine that, whether it be a therapist, a coach, a doctor, whatever. The mental health crisis that we have going on in the legal industry, we've got to stop talking about it and start doing something about it. And your part is to, number one, do for yourself so that you can be a good role model to others. It really does help others to see that you take care of yourself, especially if you are in a higher level position, right, in a leadership position. But the other thing I would say, too, is it helps to inspire people to see that it's okay to talk about it and start talking about it more. And there is something magical when we all start talking about it. We all start realizing that many of us feel the same way, that we're not unicorns who are different from everybody else, and we're not imposters. We often, imposter syndrome, I find, relates a lot to this unwillingness to open up and be vulnerable and let people know what you're thinking and feeling and struggling with. And then also, as you start to do that, start to pay more attention to people around you. I think 
We lawyers are afraid to ask how others are doing. Sometimes because we're afraid of hearing the answer, but oftentimes because we're afraid we don't know what to say or how to approach them. And if you're just human and you're listening, that's a start. And if you're saying, you know what, I've been there, maybe not in this exact thing, but I've I've been there and I think you should go talk to somebody and get help, that's helpful to somebody to know that you care, to know that they felt similarly to, that you felt similarly to them. All of this is necessary. And I do think this is part of the problem. We don't talk about it enough. We just don't. We talk about it as though it's an other issue. We talk about it as, oh, the stats are bad. Oh, the, the profession is bad, but not me. I'm not, you know, it's not me. It's nobody right around me. And if we see that, we, we kind of ignore it because it's uncomfortable. Stop. You've got to start, A, approaching yourself honestly, B, reaching out for the help you need, C, looking out for others and starting to help them, allowing them to know they're not alone, that you care. This is a big piece to the puzzle that we've got to start dealing with within our profession because these stats need to change y'all. This is one of the biggest reasons I do what I do. It's why even in my business coaching, even in my mastermind, which is primarily business and leadership and growth focused, we talk about these things. We make sure everybody is okay. Everybody is taking care of themselves. You might be surprised to know how often people come to our mastermind group with a more quote-unquote personal or stress management or interpersonal related issue. It's not always about, you know, the tactics and strategies to grow their business or to grow their team. Yes, we get into that, but we get into this other stuff too because it's all integrated and it it makes a difference in how you show up and what you're capable of doing. All right, off the soapbox for now, but I thought that was an important point to make. So let's get into my top three tools. Again, get all of them by getting my free uh, resource of five-minute stress solutions. I will have a link to it in the show notes. Number one. Meditation. Now, I know you're probably rolling your eyes like, oh God, if I have to hear about this one more time. I know. I know. We've all heard about how meditation can calm the brain, calm you down, and help you manage stress, which is all true. But I want you to think about how to utilize meditation also for becoming more self-aware and changing how you think. So part of meditating Contrary to popular belief, it is not about stopping all thoughts. Like, yes, you want to try to focus in on something and not have your spot thoughts spinning all over the place. But let's be honest, our thoughts spin and sometimes your mind wanders and it's normal and it's okay. But something I want you to do if you're meditating is to notice when your mind wanders, to notice the thoughts that come into your mind and be super curious about them instead of the gut reaction, which is to judge. Oh, I shouldn't be thinking that way. I need to, you know, get my, my mind back on the focal point or I need to clear my mind. No, that's not what you need to do. You need to take a moment to actually pay attention to the thoughts that are coming forward and to be curious about them. 
Also, you don't want to judge the thoughts themselves. How could I possibly be thinking that? Why am I thinking that way? No. Be a objective observer of your own thoughts. What this will do for you is it will help change how you see your thoughts and beliefs. And it will raise a lot more awareness of what they even are so that you can start tackling them. So that you can start seeing, oh, this is where this comes from. This is why my actions tend to be this in these circumstances. This is why I get triggered so easily when something happens. These are the types of things that if you allow yourself to be more objective and to just observe and to be curious about what they are and why they're there, that will come to you more easily and then you'll be able to do something about it. Tool number two, gratitude. I know I've talked about gratitude like several times over. Probably this is my fourth or fifth time at least to mention it. But I'm not sure I have talked about it quite in this way. So yes, gratitude is wonderful. If you're just listing out a couple of things every day to be grateful for, yes, that can help you feel happier about the world and feel happier about your life and feel more grounded and all of those things. That's wonderful. But I want you to go deeper. Number one, I want you to use gratitude to start being grateful for really tiny things that maybe you've taken for granted. Okay? Now, I've talked about this before, but it's really easy to take a lot of simple things for granted. And when you start to open up your mind to being grateful to those things that we tend to take for granted, like they are just what they are, they're here, they're always, you know, whatever, you start to see things a little bit differently and you start to process things a little bit differently. The other thing, and this is even more important, is to start being grateful for things that aren't so obvious. Even things that you would consider not good. Yes, I said it. Be grateful for the bad. And no, this isn't about finding a silver lining when there isn't one. So let me explain. Because I don't want you making things up that's not going to be helpful at all. So for example, when a client calls upset that you missed something and you have to talk it through and they leave a little disgruntled, right? They're not happy with the fact that you messed something up or missed something. You can be grateful for the heads up and the honesty that allows you to have that conversation and try to fix the relationship as opposed to what could have happened, which is they just fire you and they'll never tell you or don't give you a second chance. When the school counselor calls you to tell you that your child is really having some emotional issues and probably needs therapy, instead of going into a negative spiral of why does this have to be happening, what if, and you know, all the list of bad things that might happen to your child, instead of all of that, you can take a moment to be grateful for the counselor who cared enough to let you know, and also grateful for the ability to take charge now and help your child. I have a client who often talks about how chaotic life is in her current stage. She's got younger children. She's also starting her own practice, her own business, and growing it, like her own firm. And it is chaotic. Now, when she first came to me, she was super stressed about it. And let's be honest, she still is pretty stressed over it. But she's come a long way. She used to want to push against it and try to change it. No. Life needs to be orderly. No, things shouldn't be this way. And she'd argue against that. She's let go of that, which has definitely dropped a lot of her stress levels and is helping her get through the chaos a little bit better. But she still has some work to do. Because here's the secret, y'all. 
It's life. Life is chaotic. Life is messy. There will always be something. But instead of seeing it as a negative, as the chaos is negative, what about seeing it as, but this is a challenge to be, that's interesting. It's part of what likes what makes life interesting. It's part of why we're here to solve these problems. Knowing the chaos is okay, getting to a place where you're all right with it and so okay with it that you don't see it as a negative. It just is a challenge to be tackled that you can move forward on and that's it. Now let me be clear. Changing how you think about things like this, it doesn't happen overnight. These are habits in how you think. They're ingrained within you. It changes slowly over time. And it all starts with becoming much more self-aware about what your thoughts and beliefs are and then working to change them proactively, often with the help of a coach or therapist. You can do it on your own, but proactively and utilizing these tools to help you do it, okay? So remember, these tools are for long-term habit-busting and new habit creation, not just as quick fixes to solve the chaos in the moment. Final tool, and this gets into some of what we've already talked about, reframe. Cognitive reframing, you've probably heard of it. I know I've talked about this before. Again, some of what we just talked about in in the gratitude with taking the bad and finding the good, finding, you know, why this is good, is an act of reframing. But you can do reframing without the gratitude part. And sometimes you need to. You can't be grateful for certain things. So you utilize reframing when things don't turn out as planned or wanted, when things go wrong, when you get super busy and stressed out. You look for the lesson, the good. And there's always something to be learned from everything. There's always an opportunity, something. Right? Now it has to be real, cannot be fake. So let me go through a couple of these. I had a client who was, uh, he's a lawyer and he also teaches. And he was going to his first class that he was going to teach at the school that he now teaches at. This was the first time he taught there, first semester. And he tried to plan it out perfectly. He knew exactly what he wanted to talk about, what he wanted to wear. He had a big plan. He tried to leave early. And guess what? There was an accident on his way there. And he realized he was going to be late. And he kept telling himself, oh my God, you should have gone even earlier. Oh, you should have made sure of this. Oh, you should, you know, the typical mind chatter. And he started beating up on himself. How could he have used reframing to calm down? Because here's what happened. He came to me after the fact and said, you know, I messed up. I did this. I argued with myself. It didn't work. It only made me less, you know, more stressed. Because my brain kept arguing back of, yeah, you're an idiot. And yeah, you should have done this. And then he tried to argue with himself over, well, you shouldn't feel this way. Calm down. It's not the end of the world. No, no, his brain would say. It is. Because that's what your brain does. They're going to all think you're an idiot. They're all going to, you know, which made him so much more stressed that his whole plan for that class went out the window. And he didn't really follow it. And he felt like the first day was a bit chaotic. What could he have done? Well, he could have used a reframe, right? He could have slowed down his breathing a little bit to calm down and reframe. Like, all right, it is what it is. I'm not changing that I'll be late. But what can I learn from this? 
How could I use that to even teach my students and say something to them? That would have allowed him to show up very differently. Wouldn't have changed the fact that he was late. Wouldn't have changed the fact that he was still a little upset with himself for not thinking through, you know what, maybe this wasn't the best route or maybe I should have left a little bit earlier. But it would have helped him to show up better. Another reframe, and this is one that hopefully you never have to go through, but I did. I think I've shared this before. Post-cancer, the year I was back fully, I went on a mini vacation to visit my mom with my boys. And she lives in the mountains. And because I'd been out the year before and because I was trying to prove I was fully back and fully working, I didn't want to admit I was on vacation. Huge mistake. The internet service went out while I was there. And we were trying to close a deal. The day before the close, the internet service went out. And I'm sitting here trying to get on phone calls and you know, landline phones that weren't working very well. And it was a mess. And the client was unhappy. In fact, the client was so unhappy that I never got hired by them again. Horrible, right? Worst case scenario, right? I remember having to take that and reframe it. And the reframe was, what do I learn from this? Well, I'm, I don't need to prove myself. I'm never going to try to prove myself like this again. I should have gotten other partners involved, admitted I was going to be out of pocket, and not tried to control everything to prove that I was back. There was no reason to do it. So don't do that again. Lesson learned. Get help. Staff it appropriately. That's what I learned. And yes, I still grew my business after that. That's actually after that is when I went from the over just over 1 million to the two and a half million mark the next year and a half. So even when we lose clients, it's not the end of the world. Hopefully, today helped you see why we do not have to put up with the lawyer mental health crisis, how intentionality is key, how choice is key, and how to utilize the tools that you probably already knew about in a more effective way not just to manage stress, not just to calm down in the moment, but to really help you make long-term habit changes, make long-term behavioral changes, make long-term changes within how you even think and what you think so that you can drastically change your stress levels. And finally, get to that place of balance that we are all seeking. That is it for today. If you are interested in getting to a place of growth within your practice while staying balanced and being mentally healthy, then I highly recommend you check out my Mastermind Elevate. I am not currently interviewing for it, but will be this fall. And there is a wait list, which will give you an opportunity to be the first to know when doors open. So be sure to check it out. I will put a link to Elevate in the show notes. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.